Turning your Bibles to Ephesians 2. If you want to, just flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we'll sort of be looking around, looking at different things tonight. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're continuing, of course, our study of the Christian life. We're almost through. We're seeing great truths uh, about... We might say, you know, we've got the 412 foundations, and a lot of people think the 412 foundations are baby things. They're not baby things at all. In fact, there are so many believers, there are people who've been believers for years, never had the 412 foundations. They don't even grasp the basic foundational truths of the Bible. So if you've not ever had the 412, you need to get it. Uh, if you hadn't had the 2-2, you need to get it because that's a... Well, this is the 412 Christian life, so it takes a little further on than just the 412 foundations. And so we've been seeing a lot of things over all these weeks. In the last two lessons, we looked at the subject of being fruitful, and we dealt with those issues. We want to make a difference for Christ. But in these last two lessons, we're going to look at the idea of rewards. It's going to affect us for all time. So when we think about our relationship with Jesus Christ, we oftentimes think about salvation. We trust Christ, we're saved. He died and rose again, we're saved forever. But sometimes we forget about service. Sometimes we forget about rewards. And I'll be honest with you, we're going to talk about it in just a minute, but there's, there's a lot of people that don't even, don't even talk about rewards. They don't even understand it. So one day when we stand before our Savior, we want to hear Him say what? Well done. And so tonight we're going to be looking at rewards. Now, let me tell you this. Before I trusted Christ, most of you know this. Before I trusted Christ, I never went to church. I went to church once when I was 6 and once when I was 12. I trusted Christ when I was 19. But, uh, but if, if you just said to me, okay, what, what do you think about salvation? I said, well, here's what I think about salvation. I think that one day you will stand before God. And he's going to be sitting like on a big throne. He's going to be sitting there looking at you, and you're going to stand in front of him, and there's going to be a big scale. And on one side is bad, and on the other side is good. And if you do more good than bad, you'll get to go to heaven. That's what I thought. And so I tried to live a good life because I even used to say, if I do a bad, I'm going to try to do at least two goods. I mean, I'm going to try to make sure I'm in, uh, in pretty good shape. Because if you'd have asked me before I trusted Christ, if I thought I was going to heaven, I would have said, I'm pretty sure I'm going to make it. Why? But because I've tried to do a lot more good than bad. That's what I thought. And what, we, what I didn't realize is that uh, works have nothing to do with salvation. Uh, it, whether we're good or bad has nothing to do with it. We're all bad. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Salvation is based on the gift. Uh, by grace, we've been saved through what? Faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so the truth is, we're not going to stand before God, and He's going to say, let me see if you did good works and bad works, and let me see if you go to heaven. And that's, so we have a great truth that uh, it's salvation is a gift by faith. But there is a truth that will stand before Jesus Christ. And it has nothing to do with salvation. It has nothing to do with sin. It has to do with our works and our service for Christ. It's not the basis of eternal life. It is the basis for what? Rewards. It is. It is. And so, did we serve Christ? Did we live for Him? Did we use the gifts, talents, and abilities that we had? We'll give an accounting for how we live. And so, it, it, basically this, if we served, we'll be rewarded. If we didn't serve, there won't be any rewards. And I want to show you tonight, or this week and next week, how this all fits together. So let me show you, as you look on that page, here's sort of the outline of these, these final two studies, okay? The first one, we're going to look at an introduction. We're going to talk a little bit about rewards and how people look at it. And then we're going to make, as you've seen many, many Many times at our church, the contrast between salvation and discipleship, there is a con great contrast. Uh, salvation and discipleship are two different things. Then we're going to see the charge that God actually says, get rewards. And we're going to talk about that. And then we'll get the, getting, the, the, getting the rewards, and we're going to see, uh, where do we get rewards? At 
Why do we get rewards? How, how do we? And then we're going to look at the rewards, which is pretty interesting stuff. That's next week. And we won't get through all of that tonight, in fact. And then the last part, we'll put some applications together and then some other things to go with it. But uh, tonight, we're going to look at the introduction, the contrast, the charge to get rewards, and just get started in getting the rewards in the place and that sort of thing. So let's start what we call introduction. In introduction, we're seeing that uh, rewards, there's a big misunderstanding. I mean, some see that there are no such thing as rewards at all. In fact, they see salvation as the reward. There's a whole bunch of people that say, okay, you can, here's Jesus died and rose again, you can believe in Jesus and, and you're to live good. And if you live good, you get as a reward eternal life. You get to be with God. You get to go to heaven, as they would say. There are a whole lot of people who think that, and they think that the reward, the, so A, uh, a the, the, the first, first aspect, just to think about, is that people think the reward is, the, the salvation is the reward, so A, there are people, A, who trust Christ, but if they sin and do bad, they don't get to go to heaven, so they lose the reward of heaven if they don't live right. That's how they actually think of it. You know a lot of people who believe that you can lose your salvation, that you can trust in Jesus Christ and you're saved, but if you do certain sins, if you mess up, if you do this, you lose your salvation. That's A. And so what they're saying is salvation is a reward for living right. Is that correct? Y'all get that? Okay, then here's B. There's those, those who say, well, you can trust Christ, but if you don't do good works, uh, it wasn't that you were saved and you lost it, you just never had it. You thought you had it, but you never had it. And so once again, salvation is a reward that you can say you believe in Jesus, but if you don't do the good works, you really didn't, and so you don't get the reward of salvation. The people who believe that, that's mostly Reformed theology, by the way, they don't even talk about rewards. When you talk to people in Reformed theology and say, one day you'll stand before Jesus Christ and be rewarded, they go, no, you won't. Uh, the reward is getting to go to heaven. And rewards are earned, by the way. By grace, you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Listen, salvation is not a reward. It's not something you earn. It's not something you said, yes, I did this. Okay, you get to go. So in the A and the B, one, the first one is people say you can believe in Jesus, then you can do bad, you lose it, therefore you lost your reward. The others say you can say you believe in Jesus, you don't live good, you actually never got it. And so it's not that you really lost it, you just never got it because you didn't have the works. Either way, salvation is a reward. Under that, I've got views. And I just want you to think for a minute. There are some people, let me just give you some views, and you can write down whatever you want to. You don't have to write down anything. But there are some people who say this. Okay, we know salvation is by faith. But we've never even heard of rewards. We've never even heard anybody talk about rewards. We've, we've heard people say, you know, you want to go to heaven and everything, but we've never heard about rewards. Before you came to our church, had any of you been taught about rewards? How many of you had not been taught about rewards before you got here? Had not, look at this, had not been taught about rewards. See, and they're all through the scripture. And so there are a whole bunch of people who say, rewards? I've really never heard of rewards. There's others who say, if you talk about rewards, that's selfish. Because you should want to serve God because you love Him. You should not want to serve God because He's going to give you something for serving God. Well, that sounds all pious, but that's not very biblical because Jesus says, run the race that you get the prize. And Paul said that. Jesus said, I want you to, 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 to say, well done, here are ten cities I have prepared for you. So the Bible doesn't say it's selfish at all to get rewards. In fact, you should be getting rewards. You should try to get rewards. Yeah, but I mean, end up doing all of these 
Exactly. So you say without love or out of love? Well, out of love, you're exactly right. Well, let me say this. Out of love, you're looking for rewards because he told you. You run the race so you get the prize. And so, but you're doing it out of love. Right, okay. The other one is that we know that salvation is by faith. We understand that one day we will be rewarded. So those are different views. Some people say they never heard of rewards. Some people say rewards are selfish. But other people say, like us, that, yeah, the, the salvation is a gift, and, and then you can earn rewards as you live righteously and godly because one day you're going to stand before Christ. And we'll talk more about that. So that's sort of the, the introduction. Well, let's talk about, and which, which you already know, which you all already know as you go to the top of the next page, there's a contrast between salvation and discipleship. And we've talked about this so many times that and I'm thankful because there's a lot of people who, who don't understand that. And they think that if you're not a disciple, if you're not living for Christ, you're not a Christian. John MacArthur, famous Bible teacher, he thinks that he sees no distinction. He basically says, salvation costs you everything. If you don't live for God, you're not saved. If you're not a disciple, you're not a Christian. There are people who believe that. We believe that salvation and discipleship are actually two different things. Salvation has to do with our, when we say salvation, we're talking about our, uh, our what we call justification salvation. The fact that we're justified and we have eternal life. This deals with eternal life and our eternal relationship with God. Where discipleship, when we think about salvation, it deals with our eternal destiny. So up there where it says salvation, you can put out beside there, it deals with our eternal destiny, our eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. Discipleship deals with our Christian lives. And it deals with our being conformed to the image of Christ. It has to do with our fellowship in our service. So when we say salvation, we're talking about the fact that by faith, you trust in Jesus Christ and you have eternal life and you're saved and saved forever. When we're talking about discipleship, we're talking about the Christian life. This is sanctification. We know there's justification, sanctification, and there's another thing called glorification, which is actually the future part. But when we talk about salvation and discipleship, they're two different things, and we must understand that. And so if you, if you got on a little sheet there, it says, salvation costs us what? Salvation costs nothing, but discipleship costs us our what? Our lives. It does. This is a gift. This is works. This is offering your life. I want you to understand, they're a whole bunch of believers. They're not a whole bunch of disciples. Because being a believer costs you nothing. It's a gift. You get it by faith, and you're saved, and you're saved forever. Being a disciple says, I take my life, and I give it to Jesus Christ. I say, Lord, I want my life to be used by you. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. Whatever you want me to do, I want to live for you. we got a whole bunch of this, which is good. I'm glad people trust Christ, and they've got eternal life. But there's not a whole bunch of this. And this is where you get the rewards. This is where the service and the fellowship and the rewards all tie together. So salvation costs us nothing, but discipleship costs our lives. Salvation basically is by what? By grace through faith. Okay? It is the gift of eternal life. Isn't it amazing how few people grasp that? 
you would think that since the Bible has 160-something places just in the New Testament that you're saved by faith and that you have eternal life by faith and it's by grace you're saved through faith and God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son whoever believes will never pray. All of those places and yet most people do not understand the message. Most people are confused on the message. Most people think there's more to it than faith. So salvation is by grace through faith. It is the gift of eternal life. It is not based on our works, our goodness, our faithfulness. Listen, if you think anything you do is going to merit somehow your eternal life salvation, you are wrong. You have all our righteousness, Isaiah 64, 6, we're filthy rags. We don't have anything to offer him. We can't do one thing to gain eternal life salvation. Jesus Christ has done it all and is offering us the gift. The second thing then, there's discipleship. Uh, discipleship is take up our what? Our cross, and we, it offer our lives. In fact, we offer our bodies. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your what? Your bodies as living sacrifices. That's the key right there. This is the gift, and this is the word. This is where you offer your life, and you say, I give my life, I die to myself. You know, Jesus, So, if you really read the Bible carefully, you'll find it. Jesus said, if you do not... Take up your cross and die to yourself. You cannot be my disciple. He doesn't say be my believer. He doesn't say be my child. He doesn't say be in the family of God. He doesn't say if you don't take up your cross and die to yourself, you can't be in the kingdom of God. He never says that. He says you can't be my disciple. They're two different aspects. And so you really need to understand that. And to me, and this is what we said many, many times, if you mix them up, if you put discipleship and salvation together, you have works for salvation. That's why so many people think it's works for salvation. That's why so many people will say something like, well, you can believe in Jesus, but if you don't live right, it shows you're not a Christian, okay? Or you're not going to make it, or you haven't done the right thing. Or people will say, you need to give your life to Jesus to be saved. I've had many people come up to me and say, you need to give your life to Jesus to be saved. I said, so it's a swap deal? You give him your life, he saves you, so it's works? Well, no, well, it, yeah, it's, well, no, they, they don't want to say it's works, but it actually is what? It's works. So this, don't mix it up. Just remember, anytime you put salvation and discipleship together, you have works for salvation. Anytime you keep it separate, that justification, salvation by faith alone in Jesus Christ for eternal life, it's separate from your Christian life and your growth and your service. If you keep it straight, you'll always be clear on the gospel. Okay, so we've seen the contrast between salvationship and discipleship. So let's look now at the charge to get rewards. And we realize our service for Christ is not the basis for salvation. It is the basis for what? Rewards, rewards exactly. Does God want believers to have what? Rewards. What's the answer? Yes, yes. Why, why, let me ask you something. You're going to stand before him, right? What's it called? Anybody remember? The judgment seat of Christ, right? The bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. You're going to stand before him. Do you think he wants you to stand before him and he go, you wasted your life? First John says we could be ashamed at his coming. So we could, we could be ashamed. Okay? Do you think he wants us to be ashamed? Do you think he wants to say, well, I never, I never made it clear. I, I never made it clear. I, you know, I just told everybody, just believe and you're fine. And, and it doesn't matter how you live your life. He didn't, no, he wants you to stand before him and he go, I am so proud of you for what you have done. Well done, 
good and faithful servant. That's what he wants. So does, does God want believers to have rewards? The answer is yes. When somebody says it, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, you interrupt any time. It doesn't matter. Okay, well, what we do is, yeah, you're, that's a great question. How do you, when you're talking to somebody and you want to make sure they know, I'm re- reading it just for the tape, uh, that when people say, I want to make sure they understand that salvation is a gift and it has nothing to do with works or anything, but how do you do that and talk to them about salvation? And then they come away saying, yeah, I'm saved, I don't have to do anything. Well, the first thing is that you do want to stay on the salvation issue, stay totally on the salvation issue. It's faith alone, Christ alone. But the moment because you don't really need to get into the Christian life then because a person who's dead in trespasses and sins can't really understand serving God to begin with. Okay, so you stay, and the moment they say, okay, I, I got it, I've trusted Christ, I'm going to heaven, I say, now this is fantastic, can anything stop you from going to heaven? No, so you've got eternal life. Now, what are we to do now as believers that we have eternal life and we know we're going to heaven out of what God has done for us, He has saved us, what should we do? We should Live for him. So you keep it separate, but you don't leave them by, and they go, okay, so I'm, I'm saved. I can do anything I want. Because some people actually say that when you tell people it's faith alone, Christ alone, and they're saved forever, that you're giving them a license to sin. We never say that. We, we stay only on the gospel until they trust Christ. And once they trust Christ, then you start saying, now, as a believer, what should you do? This, and you could say, this has nothing to do with your salvation. But this has to do is how do you live on this earth while God has you on this earth as a child of God? So does that help a little bit? That's, I just try to, um, I make them separate. I don't put them together. But the moment a person actually believes in Christ or they say, well, I'm a Christian, then you say, okay, good. Now, what, do we do? what are you doing with your life? What are we supposed to do with our lives? And if a person says, but it really, really doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter how I live. I'm still going to heaven. I said, well, let me say it this way. It does matter how you live. You are still going to heaven, but this is going to affect your rewards, your joy, your service, your ministry. It's going to affect a lot of things if you live in sin or you don't live for the glory of God. So that, that's a great question. Anything else? Any, anytime we're talking and you got a question or a comment, it's, that's not an interruption at all. It's just making sure we all kind of have a good idea of this. Well, I, I, okay, so the question is, do you think at the judgment seat of Christ, at the bema seat, at the rewarding stand, it could be a combination of, here, you did great, you got this, well done, well done. However, now over here when you were 16, you didn't do very well. I don't, I don't, well, well, yeah, but sin's gone. So we're, we're not talking about sin, though. Remember, at the judgment seat of Christ, where is your sin? It's all placed on Christ. Will you ever stand before God for your sins? No. You may be ashamed because you you didn't do more. You didn't do what you could have done. You you didn't serve Him. Not necessarily that you sinned, because your sins have already been gone. They're already placed on Christ, as far as the east and the west. Uh, he doesn't ever say you'll stand before Me for your sins, because all the, it, it, unbelievers do not stand before God for their sins. Nobody stands for God for their sins because the sins are already paid for. Sins are already removed. They've been placed on Christ. Therefore, as the east is the west. What we stand before God for is what did you do with your life? As a believer, did we serve him? Did we live for him? And we will be ashamed if we didn't. I mean, it's, it's like Schindler's List when Schindler at the end says, I could have done more. I could have done more. We'd probably be standing there and say, I should have done a lot more. I should have done a lot more. And he may look at you and go, yeah, you, you could have. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so 
unbelievers, when they stand before Christ, their name isn't written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's right. It's because they didn't believe. They didn't believe. They lived a life of sin. It, they live what? Not because they lived a life exactly. of sin. Exactly. The, the bottom line is, it, it's think of John... Everybody knows John 3.16, God so loved the world to go And John 3.17, for, for God didn't send the Son in the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He that believes is not condemned, but he that believes not is what? Condemned already. Why? Because he's a sinner? No, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So you're exactly right. When a person stands before God who's an unbeliever, it's not their sin that in a sense kept them separate from God. It was the fact they did not believe, get his righteousness, and be placed in the book of life. You're exactly right. Wow, good stuff. Okay, what else? Anything else? The, the sin against the Holy Spirit, the best we can tell, is actually attributing the works of Jesus Christ to the devil. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus was on the earth and some people said that what he was doing was of the devil, what they're saying is, he's from the devil, he's not the Messiah. So they're not believing in him, so there's no forgiveness. That's what he's really saying. That didn't say that if a person believed that and then a year later they said, you know, I think he really is the Son of God and I'm going to trust in him. See, some people say that, well, if you ever do this, you're lost forever. That's not what he's talking about. He's just saying, as long as you say Jesus is of the devil, you're probably not going to trust him as Savior, and you'll be saved. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Who started this? No, yes, this is wonderful. This is so good. Well, we know this. That the great, well, probably the, one of the great, she said, what about if you just do a lot of good deeds for somebody, but you never really told them about Christ? Well, you'll probably be really sad because if they don't go to heaven, you could say, gosh, I should have told them. But he says that you will, you'll never lose your reward if you give a you know, cup of cold water in the name of Jesus Christ. So anything you do good in the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God, you will be rewarded for that. But you may look back and say, I, you know, I did a lot of good things, but I really didn't share my faith very much. Remember, what did we say the, the producing fruit and all that was? What? Uh, making disciples, okay? That's, that's that part. And then, uh, you know, doing good deeds and living Christ-like. So if a person says, I live Christ-like, I do good deeds, well, they're going to get rewarded for that, and there's gonna, that's fruit going to be produced. But that first thing was make disciples. There's a whole bunch of people that don't make disciples. They, they're a bunch of Christians that go through their entire life and have never led one person to Christ or never even shared their faith. See, here's the deal. Let's say that I talk to Susie. She's not a believer. Let's say I spent time and I share with her, and she doesn't trust Christ. Do, what is that nothing for me? No. I'm getting rewarded for sharing my faith. It's not the results. I can't, we can't make anybody trust Christ, but we can be faithful to share our faith. So does that help a little bit? I mean, we all want to do good deeds, but remember the three things we basically said was don't forget, make disciples, live Christ-like, and, and do good deeds. All of those tie into fruit and rewards and those things. So the charge, does God want to, and if you've got another question, let me know. Does God want the believers to have rewards? The answer is yes, he wants us to. It's not selfish. We want to run the race so we can get the prize and all of those things. So I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's one of my favorite passages because it really, it gives some really good information. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to look at verses 24 through 27. So everybody turn over there if you, if you got a Bible or some electronic deal or something like that. Just turn there because we're going to see the idea of rewards. And we're going to see what, what Paul says, okay? What does Paul say about rewards? And so 
he, Paul was, you know, Paul, we, we said that sometimes the Christian life is described as a walk, and sometimes the Christian life is described as a run, and sometimes the Christian life is described as warfare. Sometimes the Christian life is, is described as boxing. Sometimes the Christian life is described as wrestling. Paul always used, for some reason, Paul used a lot of sports analogies. And so in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, he uses a sports analogy of competing in what we would call the Olympic Games. They, they didn't call them Olympic Games, they called them the Isthmus Games. They, call, they were different games in which people would come together and compete, sort of like what we call modern day Olympics, but it wasn't to that big a scale and those kind of things. So he's, he reminds the Corinthians because the Corinth was on the Isthmus part, that they had what we'd say, let's just call them Olympic Games. They had these Olympic Games that people would compete. So when he writes this, he knows they would just fit right into this. It'd be like us saying, well, you know, in a football game, you do this. We'd all identify with that. Well, they would identify with this sporting event. And so look what he says in verse 24. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. So here's we got, I got verse 24 down there for you. And he says in this way, everybody runs a race. Run the race that you get the what? What the prize? You want to get a prize. What's a prize? It's a reward. Okay, we, we line up. You know, the first race I ever won, I was, uh, I think I was in the sixth grade. I mean, actually run in a real race. They had uh, Meridian, Mississippi at all the elementary schools. It was a summer deal. And there were like 12 elementary schools, so there were 12 schools. And they had two heats, six in one heat and six in the other. And it was the 25-yard dash. And, and of course, I was going to run the 25-yard dash. So I got in the, you know, we didn't have blocks. You just got down. They shot their gun. And I won my heat. And so then I'm in the finals. And so the six guys are in it. And, you know, and I won. I won the thing. And what did I get? I got a certificate. That was my prize. I ran the race and I got the what? The prize. So Paul starts off and saying, by the way, don't you know that those who run in a race, they all run. Everybody runs. But only one receives the prize. In a normal race, who gets the prize? The winner, okay? And then he says, so run in such a way that you may win. Now, he's reminding something they knew. The Isthmus Games, those games, best we can understand from history, they were every three years. They had a big stadium, and uh, it had, if you ever saw Ben-Hur, you know, they raced those things around the deal. Well, they had a stadium like that, and they had races. And there weren't very many races. There were, there were wrestling events, there were throwing events, and there was a short sprint type events, and then there were longer races. And so the, the, he's saying, you know, when you come to the games, there's a race, and everybody's running to win, and only one person gets the prize. So he says, don't you want a prize? As a believer, run the race so you may get the prize. Now, in the, here's what's amazing. In the Christian life, who are you running against? Yourself. You, you can get the prize. Everybody can win the prize. It's not like four or five of us are lined up saying who's going to be the best. No. Your question is, are you going to be the best of you? Because if you run the race, you get the what? You get the prize. So run the race so that you can get the prize. So in the race of the Christian life, we're not competing against each other. And see, some people want to do that, especially pastors. They say, you know, how many you got in your church? Well, I, as if that's the measure of whether you're doing a very good job or not. And, I mean, the real question might be, how many people are you discipling? You know, or something like that. But, but the bottom line is everybody wants to say something. But he says, run the race that you get the prize. So let me ask you something. Does he want you to get a reward? Yeah, yeah he does. Okay. Now, 
Next week, we're going to go into a lot of detail on what the rewards are, okay? So then he gives an example from the games. He says, everybody who competes in the games exercises what? Self-control in all things. They do it so they'll get a what? A perishable reward. You know, if they won the games, you know what they got? They got a little thing that went on top of their head. That was it. Now, there's some more. I'll tell you some more in a minute. He says, but we do, we run the race to get a what? Imperishable. In other words, what we get as a reward lasts forever. Okay? So we're going to talk about it. He says, they must exercise what? In verse 25, what do they have to exercise? Self, run the race to get the prize. To get the prize, the athletes must exercise self-control. That means discipline yourself. Discipline yourself. L- listen, the word that says, uh, when he says, everyone who competes in the game, uh, the, the idea of competing in self-control comes from a Greek word, agomizai. We get agony from it. It means to, to strive and to go hard and to keep going. And by the way, here, here's what, just on the research, for the people who competed in the games, usually it was one person from each of the, little, of the cities. And they had city states, as you know. And so they'd pick the best athlete from the city. And that person would go, and all the athletes would go to the same place. And they would all train together. And they trained for 10 months. That was the best thing we can find. And uh, they had special diets. They had, to, they had to get up at a certain time. If any one of them broke any of the rules, they were eliminated and had to go back home. Now, you talk about an embarrassment. Your, your city-state sent you to be their person to compete in the games, and you broke a rule and you had to come back home. It was a total embarrassment. Now, if you won, if you won the overall prize, but most in those days, you would come back. They would actually knock a hole in the wall of the city, name it after you. You got to march through, and you were exempt from paying taxes from that point on. So it was a big day. It was a big deal to win the things. So that's why you better, you better do it all. And what would they get? What would they get? Something that was a little thing that would eventually, you know, they'd look over and they went, that thing just fell apart. Right? What do we get? What do we get? Eternal rewards. This is what he's saying. So, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you'll be rewarded. Now, he has a plan. I want you to notice, verse 26 says, have a plan. Look what he says. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. In other words, I know what I'm doing. I box in such a way as not beating the air. He says, listen, I'm training. I know what I'm supposed to do. I, I have a plan. What's our plan? Let me tell you, if you want to just write this down underneath that, you know what one of the plans is? To know and apply the Bible. Isn't that one of your plans? To know the Word of God and live it out in your life. That's that's one of the plans. Because if you're going you're to stand before Christ and we want to hear Him say, well done, and you're going to get a reward, you can't be just beating the air. You can't say, I don't know what to do. You can't say, I went through the Christian life and I never knew what I was supposed to do, as most Christians. Many Christians, if you say to them, what are you supposed to do as a Christian? They go, go to church. I say, nah, good gracious. That's your training place. You know? and I mean, churches train very few. I mean, you're supposed to get there and you're supposed to learn the Bible and know it and apply it and, and then live it out in your lives. And then second, you're supposed to make what? Disciples, that's your purpose. How many, how many Christians that you know of are making disciples, that they're leading people to Christ and then training them and equipping them to reproduce themselves? That's what we're all supposed to be doing in this room. Every one of us is supposed to be doing that. 
That's what the plan is. That's not beating the air. That's having a plan. That's exercising what? Self-control. That's discipline. We say, here's what I'm going to do in my life. I'm going to live my life for Christ. And then the, the third thing is to use the gifts that you have, the gifts, talents, and abilities, to build up the body of Christ. All of those tie in to the plan. Now, there's so many other things. We could just say, equip the saints, do the work of the ministry, build up the body of Christ, you know, share our faith. I mean, we could just say hundreds of things. But what's your plan? What's your plan to get the prize? What's your training? What are we supposed to do? Think about it. What, do you, what, what are you supposed to do when you wake up and say, this day is for Jesus Christ? What does he want you to do? How does he want you to be trained? I mean, let's face it. We trust Christ. We don't automatically know the Bible. You don't know. You don't know. I mean, you start saying, I don't know that. Well, you better study it. Better dig it. I, I don't know how that fits. I've never, heard, I've never heard of justification, sanctification, glorification. I've never heard of propitiation and imputation. I've never heard of, of you know, past, present. I've never heard of these things. Well, better study it so you can understand how it fits together and how the Bible fits together. And if somebody said, well, what's the book of Romans about? What's the book of Matthew about? What's the book of Hosea about? What's the book of Genesis about? What's 2 Thessalonians about? How does the book of Revelation fit together? How do these things... You say, well, I don't know. Well, can you read it? Well, yeah, it's in English. Then why don't you know it? Because you hadn't what? Studied it. You hadn't dug it. You hadn't put it together. You hadn't got a plan. Paul says, I got a plan. He said, I'm not running without aim. I don't box in such a way as I'm just beating the air. I mean, if I'm going to box, I'm going to hit something, Right? He says, I know what I'm doing. And that takes us to really the key, which is verse 27. He says, but what do I do? I discipline my body and make it my slave. In other words, do what you're supposed to do when it's time to do it. See, it's real easy to say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a quiet time every day, and I'm going to have a study time that I really study the Bible once a week. I'm just going to really dig something, and then I'm going to meet with a person, and we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to disciple that person. I'm going to help them know stuff, and I'm going to know stuff, and I'm going to dig this out, and this is what I'm going to do. And then you say, my quiet time is going to be at 6.30, and then I'm going to have every Thursday night, I'm just making this up, and then I'm going to meet with this person every Tuesday for lunch. And then at 6.30, and you go, oh, oh. I, well, I shouldn't have watched that show last night to one. So I'm just not going to be able to do that today. And then you say, I didn't get stuck. So I was going to meet you, but you know, I'm really not ready to do anything. And what, you don't, where's your plan? Well, I have a plan. This is your plan. But why aren't you carrying out your plan? Because you didn't what? Paul says, what do I do? But I discipline myself. Listen, I have people say, I wish I knew the Bible. I say, you can easily know the Bible. Oh, no, I can't. Oh, yes, you can. All you have to do is study it. All you have to do is set aside time and dig the Word. Dig into it. It's in English, so we can grasp it. And all you have to do is do opposite. Who's got a, anybody got a bookmark? Who's got a bookmark? You got one of our bookmarks? No, no, not that. I mean, one of our bookmarks. One of our bookmarks. Look at this bookmark right here. This is we have them for you. We have a bunch of those out there. And, you know, on this side, it says, rightly dividing the Word. And on this side, it says, how do you study the Bible? Observation. You take a passage and you ask these questions. Who, what, where, when, why, how. After you get that, then it's interpretation and you look at the verbs. And you, it says past, present, future. Is it active or passive voice? What's the mood? Then there's these connectives, like these words that you look for, like but and for and as and in and that. And then it gets to the application. Right here is an entire way to study the Bible. You don't even have to have like 18,000 books. It's all written right there for you. 
So if you said, well, I don't know how to study the Bible, get one of those or take the class. You know, take the 2-2, take the 4-12. Uh, I have a class called, uh, 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 what is it, Becoming, Becoming a Disciple Maker. And we have seven lessons on how to evangelize and share your faith. And then seven lessons on how to study the Bible so you can train somebody. I, I teach that about once every two to three years. You could take that class. So we got to have a plan. So what does he say do? I discipline my body and make it my what? My slave. Oh, my. My slave. Uh, so, because I don't want to, I don't, I, you know, I, 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 I tell my body what to do. I had a friend, he was, he, was, he was one of those guys, he actually was a Marine, and he said, just to make his body, he said, I'm going to tell my body what to do. And sometimes he said, I'm just going to, I'm going to always take a cold shower because I'm not going to let my body meet me. I'm just going to turn it on cold and make myself stand under it. He said, because I'm going to tell my body what to do. It's not going to tell me what to do. I said, you're crazy. No, but anyway, no. <laughs> he, he was, hey, you'd want him on your side, let me just say that. When the fight breaks out, I said, I'm on his side when the fight breaks out. But so anyway, the key is, listen to what he says. This is beautiful. But I discipline my body, I make it my slave, so that after I preach to others, after I've done what I'm supposed to do, after I've told everybody what I'm supposed to do, I myself will not be what? Disqualified. Disqualified. The word there is akidamas. Damas means to be qualified or approved. Akidamas means disapproved. He doesn't want to be disapproved. He doesn't want to fail so that when he stands before his Savior, what does he say? He doesn't say, well done. See, this, this disqualified doesn't mean you lose salvation. It means you get out of the what? What happened to the guy that broke the rules? They got out of the race. And he says, I'm running a race, but I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I'm disciplining myself so what I've got through, when I'm done what I'm supposed to do, I will not be disqualified. I will not lose. Listen, I've told you all this story. When I coached in Mississippi State, I coached a guy. I found him in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. He was 6'4", a big guy, and uh, he, was, he was a high jumper. But he was so big and so strong, we said, you know what? You can be a decathlon guy. And so I tried to teach him the Catholic stuff. He, pole vault, he tore up everything in the world because he was so big and strong that he didn't know how to pole vault, and he knocked everything down. But we got him where he could pole vault. He ended up making the Olympic team in the Decathlon, the 1980 Games, but he didn't get to go because the United States didn't go. We boycotted, so he didn't get to go. But he was such a good athlete that in the SEC Championship, the Decathlon has five events one day, five events the next day. Going after the first four events... He was way ahead already out of the first four. And the last race on the first day is 400 meters. And boom, gunshot. I'm, I'm, I, you know, that day you could be down on the track, down on the field. So I'm watching him run. He's running great. He's eating them up. He comes all the way around. He crosses first. And he, so, by the way, you know, it just points every time. So every time you have a really good score, you get more points. So he's already hundreds of points ahead of other people behind. If you know anything about decathlon, he comes through. And I go, man, that's a good time. And all of a sudden, this guy's waving this flag. And I go, oh, that's bad. And they said, when he rounded the final curve, he stepped on the line with three straight steps. Can't do that. You can step on the line with one step, but not three steps. And they disqualified him. He was still so good that with, with nine events, he still won the SEC. He was that much better than anybody else. So he scored more points in nine events than they scored in ten. But he got disqualified because he stepped on the line. Now, he was really mad. And the truth is, I mean, we're talking about this much. But they still disqualified him. 
So we don't want to get disqualified, do we? We want to do what? How can we get disqualified if we don't what? Discipline ourselves and do what we're supposed to do. Listen, how can God use somebody that doesn't know the Bible, doesn't know how to disciple anybody, doesn't know what they believe, have never done anything, and he says, I would like to use you to do this, and they go, I don't know what to do. I wonder, why don't you know what to do? Right? Think about it. Wow. So, he says, that the, what does disqualified mean? It means disapproved. I love 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, be steadfast. You can write this in there. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For our labor is not in vain. You know what he says? Keep on keeping on. Keep on doing it. Keep on abounding the work of the Lord. Keep on being steadfast. Keep on being unmovable. Keep on doing and keep on doing. Because what you're doing is not what? It's not in vain. When you serve God and you may say, I don't see anything. I mean, I talked to those. I worked in the children's ministry for 12 years. I didn't see anything. In fact, they just threw up on me. You know what? So one day, God's going to reward you. And you say, well, I work with this, and I never saw much of this. And then you say, and God says, no, you touch this life, you touch this life. You, and you go, I, I didn't really know it. He said, remember, everything you do is not in, not in vain. You know, it's just amazing. So that's why Romans 12, 1 and 2 offer our lives. That's why 1 Corinthians six nineteen says our bodies belong to Him. That's why Galatians, it, this is not on there, but write out, write out before you get to 1 Corinthians 4, 2, write out Galatians 6, 9. Here's what he says. Just listen to this. Do not grow weary in doing good, because in due time we will reap if we don't faint. He's saying just keep on keeping on. Keep on serving. Keep on doing what God wants you to do, because in one day you're going to stand before him, and he's going to say, what? Well done. You did it. You go, I didn't do anything. I, I just tried. He said that was the key, wasn't it? Take the gifts, talents, and abilities that I gave you, and you were What? Faithful. What does 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says? Moreover, brethren, is required of stewards to be what? Faithful. Write it down. Be faithful. That's the key. That's the key to our lives. Faithfulness. Listen, it's not the time. It's not the abilities. It's not all of that stuff. It's none of that. It's not who's up front. It's not who's back. Remember we talked about spiritual gifts last week, and we said they're up front gifts. They're behind-the-scenes gifts. The gift of helps, the gift of teaching, the gift of evangelism, the gift of mercy, the gift of compassion, the gift of administration, all those gifts. You use them. Some of them are up front. Some are not up front. It doesn't make any difference. All that matters is are you faithful? That's all that matters. And when you stand before them and say, well done, good, and Faithful. You remember in that one parable, a guy had ten, and he made ten more, and he said, you get ten cities. guy with the five, he said, man, you got five more. You got five cities. He rewarded them both. Just powerful. Okay, so as we think about this, now we're, let's, let's turn to getting rewards. We're just going to touch on it, not going to hold a lot of details, because next week we're going to talk more about it. But getting rewards, i got two things for you. A is the place, the place where we get rewards, and B, the basis for rewards. And I'm going to tell you, we're, if you, if we're going to get on in there. We're going to actually see what some rewards are, what they're called. You might know what rewards are called in the Bible. Huh? Crown. What? Crown. Well, yeah, can you think of anything else? Crown. Did you say crowns? Crowns, yeah. The Bible talks about crowns. Okay, so we're going to talk about some of that next week. Okay, let's talk about the place. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 is called the judgment seat of Christ, okay? The judgment seat 
of Christ. And the word judgment, it says, what does the word judgment mean? It's the Greek word bema. You can write that down. B-E-M-A. And it means reward stand. You remember I told you that, um, that when a guy got the prize and he came back to the city, the king or the head of the city-state would be sitting on a throne called the bema seat. And he would give out a reward to the guy who won. Or sometimes when they came back from victory in battle and they would be coming, marching through the city, he would sit on the throne, the judgment seat, the bema seat, and he would reward the people as they came through. So you're going to stand before Jesus Christ and he's going to be sitting on the what? The judgment seat, the bema seat. Okay? So bema, when you hear judgment seat of Christ, that's not bad. That's good. Okay, now let me show you something here just to put this up for you. Most of you know the end time events. We've seen this so many times. Jesus died and rose again. This is the church age. The next event after that is the what? It's the rapture. And then there's the seven years tribulation. Then there's the second coming. Then there's the thousand year reign of Christ. Then there's the great white throne judgment. And then there's the eternal state. Okay, so here we are. Jesus died and rose again. We're in the church age. And th this is us living there. Now, what we find is that when he says we're going to stand before what, the, the two different places, I have the, it says, a great white throne judgment, okay? The other one's got a mistake. It's supposed to be J-S-O-C, not G. It's supposed to be judgment seat of Christ. Now, the great white throne judgment is Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. It takes place right here. It's basically for unbelievers. There is the judgment seat of Christ, and you can put down 2 Corinthians 5.10, uh, you can put 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You can put Romans chapter 12, 13, and 14. Excuse me, Romans uh, chapter uh, 14, verses 12, 13, and 14. But you can put those down because this talks about standing before Him and being rewarded. Now, where is the judgment seat of Christ? There's all kind of views. Some view is this. That when the rapture happens and the church is taken out, all the believers will go up and they'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There's another view that says when Jesus Christ comes back and sets up the kingdom, that there is a 45-day time period listed in the book of Daniel, and some people believe that the judgment seat of Christ is during that 45 days as we go into the kingdom. I happen to believe a little different than either one of those because the Bible doesn't say when it is. I actually, this is my, my belief, since the Bible doesn't say, I can believe whatever I want and you can too. But the bottom line is, I think the moment you die, what's going to happen? To be absent from the body is what? Present. I think the moment you die physically, you go and you're standing before the judgment seat of Christ. I think that, because, listen, do you think that the judgment seat of Christ is this long line? And, and he's taking each person individually, and you're going to be standing there for however how long it takes. And you, and you look up and you go, boy, it's moving a little slow. And he? Yeah, it's moving a little slow. I had not moved in about, you know, a year. But no, it's not going to be that way. Let me tell you, when you stand before Christ, and you stand before him, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, and, and then he talks about your rewards, and you go, wow, what about everybody else? He said, I've already done them. Did them all at one time, right? Because he, he's everywhere at one time. He doesn't have to get a line of people and go, well, you and you. Now, listen, I, I just, that's how I look at it. Now, some people say it's at the rapture. Some people say it's this time. It, it, it doesn't really say when it is. It just says we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to go into the details on that next week, okay? I just wanted to give you a little bit about that tonight. Galatians 6, 7, it says, Do not be deceived. 
God is not mocked. Whatever we sow, we what? We reap. Listen, you sow with the flesh, what do you reap? Corruption. You sow with the Spirit, what do you reap? Eternal life. Life. So the principle of sowing and reaping affects us right now. Think about that. How you live now. Let's say we're in the church age. This is us. How we live now is going, it has nothing to do with the eternal destiny. Our eternal destiny will first of all be for the thousand years and then in the eternal state. What will we do for Christ in the thousand years? Serve Him. What will we do in the eternal state? Serve Him. What will be the basis for the opportunity to serve Him in the thousand years and the eternal state? It will go back to what? How you lived here. This will be the judgment. This will be the rewarding. And He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. You get to do this here and this here. There are going to be believers who are going to be very disappointed when they stand before Christ and when they get to the kingdom, they're going to be serving Him. And since they're going to have glorified bodies and all that, they're not going to be sin and they're going to be all mad. But it's not going to be what they wished it could have been. Right? I mean, we're going to be happy sweeping up. But we might could say, I'm happy sweeping up, but I'd like to have been over there. You know, we talked several weeks ago about the, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. You remember that? And we said that the sons of the kingdom, that's believers, some of them are what? They're not at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Why? Because when they stood before the judgment seat of Christ to get rewarded, He didn't say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so they're over there in the outer darkness watching the banquet. And they said, did you get to go to the banquet? No, I didn't get to go to the banquet. Why didn't you get to go to the banquet? Because I didn't really serve Him. I just kind of went through life. I mean, look at y'all. You don't want to go. You're not just going through life, are you? What's your heart say? I want to do something for Jesus Christ. I want my life to count for Christ. I want to go where He wants me to go. I want my life to count for Christ. I want to know the Bible. I want to tell people about Jesus. I want to understand it. I want to live it out. I want to be godly. I want to make an impact for Christ. Do you? Is that what you want? You think when you stand before Christ, He's going to say, you're a terrible? He's going to say, well done. But there are a whole bunch of people who are Christians. You can't even find them. They come once on Easter and once at Christmas. That's it. Why we have so many people last Sunday? Because there are people who came last Sunday who hadn't been here at all for any other time except they come on Easter. You had a question? Input? Yeah. I, I did. So thousand-year reign. No, you'll serve. You just will have. May, let's say you may not have a really good place to serve, okay. so to speak. Okay. Yeah, you're gonna. We're gonna all serve. Okay. We're gonna all serve him forever. And remember, I said that you, whatever reward you've ever done. I mean, whatever good things you've ever done, you're going to get rewarded for that. He says, if you gave a cup of cold water in his name, you're going to get rewarded for that. I don't think anybody's going to stand before Jesus Christ and not get some kind of rewards. But I think we're all going to say, man, I could have done so much more. And Good gracious, I'm, I'm ashamed at what I, how I used my gifts, talents, and abilities that he gave me. I didn't use them hardly any. Right? I mean, I think that's what's going to happen. That's what First John 2 says. He says, we'll be ashamed at his coming. You may be disappointed. And let me tell you, you know, people say, well, I thought he's going to wipe away every tear. That doesn't happen until over here. The kingdom, kingdom has sin. And by the way, the kingdom has sin in it because there are going to be born, people be born during the kingdom who will reject Jesus Christ. And at the end, if you read Revelation, at the end of, uh, at the, end of the kingdom in Revelation chapter 20, there are, thousands, there are people as number the sand of the seashore who rebel against Jesus Christ who are unbelievers at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. It's hard to imagine, but just look at Revelation chapter 20. 
And so during the kingdom, there's going to be, there are going to be, there are going to be people who reject Christ. There are going to be people who sin. Now, not us, because we're going to have glorified bodies. Okay, well, and we could do more. Let me, let me, oh, time is just about up, so let's get through with this. Uh, Romans 14, 11 basically says, we will give an account. We'll give an account of ourselves to God on how we live, okay? So there we are. Let me do this. Let me give you the four applications real quickly. Uh, four things to think about. And just remember this. There's no test, so we don't have to go over any kind of quiz. And if you can, come just a touch early or, or try to get here at least. Uh, maybe a lot of people get here early. If you can get here at least by 6.30, we'll start as quickly as we can uh, next week. And there's, listen, we're going to talk about rewards a lot next week. We're going to talk about And then I'm going to end it with who do you need in your life so that you can make an impact for Christ. We're going to end with that next time. So don't miss that. There's some really good stuff. Okay, number one, understand our service for Christ has no bearing on our eternal salvation. So number one, understand that our service for Christ has no bearing on our eternal life salvation. Understand our service for Christ has no bearing on our eternal life salvation, but has a bearing on our rewards. Our understand, uh, our, uh, understand our service for Christ has no bearing on our eternal life salvation, but has a bearing on our rewards. So how you live, how you serve now, doesn't have anything to do with your eternal life salvation, but it has to do with your rewards. Number two, understand that God wants all believers to be rewarded. Did we get that? Number three, let's run the race of the Christian life so we can hear him say, well done. Need a plan. You need a plan. And if you need a plan, we'll help you make a plan. We'll help you get to the right places, to the right people, to the right studies, to the right opportunities, so that you cannot be beaten the air, but that you can have a plan. And you can say, here's my plan. Of course, you've got to discipline yourself to do it. Think of the people... Think of the people that signed up for this class that aren't here anymore. I don't mean, I'm not saying bad about them because some other things may have come up, but it's so funny that, that 50 or 60 people will sign up and by about the seventh or sixth lesson, we're down to 30 because the others just, they just drop out. And you say, I thought you wanted to think, ah, oh, other stuff came up. Yeah, I know, I know it does. What do you want? You know. Number four, we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded for how we lived on this earth. We will stand at the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded for how we lived on this earth.